Welcome to the new game, Bullshit. Jeffrey Wittenhagen, and I'm a published author and collector extraordinaire. My latest book, The Complete NES, was a Kickstarter sensation, is fully funded, and ready to rock and roll. I also have a Patreon book series called The Video Game Culture Chronicles that you can subscribe to at patreon.com slash the subcon3. And we've got God. Hey, I'm big into uh, No Death Runs, High Score Runs, uh collector of all things vintage and retro um, pretty much anything video game related also collect figures vinyl vhs tap handles old beer signs and old beer steins please call our number leave a voicemail or a text message at 262-264-VGBS take it away we're doing the uh, the obligatory what the F we've been working on so we don't have to talk about it in future episodes type thing. Jeff's project time. Yeah, because we're going to avoid so much randomness as we've done in the past. All the randomness is going to be focused on a topic instead of vice versa. <laughs> so we're not going to do news and updates of what we're working on or any of that. If we need to do an update, we'll do something like we're doing right here, which is just a episode for it. Like do something special. And as the title states, we're doing my complete SNES book, and we're going to talk about the video game Culture Chronicles, both of my little projects. So, yeah, the um, the Super Nintendo book was, you know, the sequel to the complete NES. It is the Super Nintendo Collector's Guide. Uh, it's going to have everything Super Nintendo in it, so... Um, went that route because after the complete NES, I did a poll and everybody that backed the complete NES, like, I think it was like 60 or 70%. I remember if you read the, um, update Kyle, but, um, it's like 60 or 70% wanted Super Nintendo. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's been insane. And I actually, um, pre-launched the campaign. So, I mean... As our podcast is going to be around forever, like the Super Nintendo Kickstarter will be here and gone. Um, but I launched it early this time so that way people can go on the Kickstarter, look at it, check it out, bookmark the page, follow me, whatever. And so that way when the Super Nintendo book launches, they can back it quickly. So it's like a, a cool thing. And then they can give me suggestions too. If I, if I miss something or there's something to have a question on. I can get that out of the way before I even launch, so that way my launch goes smoother. So that was pretty cool. So not only am I doing the classic complete NES style um, collector's part, but I'm also going to add in the unlicensed game that exists, which is Super Noah's Ark. I'm also going to add in PAL exclusives and homebrew games that I know about for the Super Nintendo and the holy grails and rarities that exist. The other aspect is, is that I'm going to do some expanded reviews this time, 
and more personal stories. Um, a few of the guys did some with my Nintendo book, did a like video reviews and stuff. And they were just like, eh, some of the reviews, you know, they're just a little too general and they just want, you know, a little deeper. And I, I assume that like a lot of, a lot of the people that are getting my book are collectors or huge gamers like we are. And they've already know what the games are about. So they just want a different take on shit. That's what I'm assuming. So pretty cool. Um, the one thing about the Super Nintendo book too is that Sean Long contacted me. Um, you know, before I launched the Super Nintendo book and just asked if he could, you know, contribute in any way he can. And the dude's completely cool and, you know, humble and all that, even though he's, he's crazy online sometimes and on his videos, he's, he's a really cool dude. And he, um, sent me an example of writing. He, he sent me an example of like a game that he liked writing and a game he didn't. And in the little synopsis paragraph, he was able to put in there what the game's about and a little bit of like bias, like why he didn't like it or in like a sentence. It was really good write ups. So I was like, it's exactly how I'm doing them. So he's going to contribute with me too. So I have that aspect, but I'm going to do something like I've been doing with the, cult- the uh, Culture Chronicles. And in the, I think I'm going to put it, and people will know by now, but it's going to be its own section in the back for this. I'm going to do expanded reviews that are fully graphical and artsy looking and all that. Because I, I kind of want the collector's checklist to be its own, it's its own book for the Nintendo ones. I want it to be its section. And if I'm going to do the other ex- extra shit, maybe put that in the back or something as like maybe, you know, Super Nintendo gems or something, you know, just like best of the best or highlights, maybe Super Nintendo highlights. I like that. So I have like a little highlight section in the back where it goes into depth and there's some cool artsy stuff in there and people can get see their Super Mario Worlds and their Super Metroid and... You know, all the, the classic Super Nintendo games, Final Fantasy 3 and 2 and Chrono Trigger, and they can get all their jaw-dropping amazingness in in one concise section. Because otherwise, I have to, like, figure out, do I want to keep the checklist part and do a breakout? Do I do the breakout and two pages each time? Like, how do I do it? So it's, I think putting it all together would let me... Just let it go as it flows. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Kyle, with the Super Nintendo? Yeah, it's about the right direction. I mean, kind of take what you do with the last book, elaborate on it a little bit, but don't change too much because the last book was awesome. Yeah. So kind of keep that as a continuation, but then, you know, you can always tweak it a little bit to make it its own unique thing. Yeah, just like lessons learned type thing, and you just kind of modify as you go. Yeah, it's always it's always fun to do that anyway. Like just tweak it and perfect the formula, and it's like the progression of you know just your craft. It'll just be natural anyway because you learn all the time, so you're just always growing. So you're you'll be at a different spot then. So it should, actually should be really interesting to see how it it comes out. Yeah, it'll be super awesome, and I mean the the one thing. And this will actually segue into the um, the other book is, you know, the whole thing was is that the complete NES, I learned that and did that whole book in Microsoft Word. So, like, I was extremely limited to what I could do with it and probably, definitely 
went into like why it's such a minimalistic format, but I grow to love it. But like now I learned how to do things in InDesign and it's like night and day what I can do with the book now. I can do all sorts of craziness and that's where, you know, you got all the little fancy, um, fancy formatting and stuff with the, uh, the Patreon series. So like, I think the super Nintendo book is going to benefit from not only what I've learned from the Nintendo book, but also like from all the leveling up I've done on formatting as well. Like the formatting has gotten crazy, which is, which is freaking awesome. I mean, I was talking to the little players guys and they were saying when they use InDesign, you pretty much just get a template and then you can just apply that to every page and then just resize the text how you want it. So yeah, that sounds like a really cool program to use and really fun too. Yeah. It's, it's like you can definitely uh, get your standardized templates. It's, I mean, it's, it's Adobe, so it's, you got the same functionality as Photoshop generally, um, which is definitely useful. But like, I catch myself wanting to get a little too fancy sometimes with some shit, which is good and bad because you don't want to get like isolate and make it too fucking crazy either. It's super interesting though, like with the whole InDesign thing, is just like the possibilities are are endless, really, because it's just like as far as your creativity can go is how crazy you can make the books now, and it it allows you to edit stuff, modify things. I mean, that's why. I was able to I was able to actually quickly the other day edit from one size to the other cuz my main thing was is that I initially wasn't going to do two sizes for the Culture Chronicles and I was able to figure out an InDesign way to do it quickly and effortlessly and make it perfect. So now there's like a cool little aspect to the um the paperback that it's going to be like its own little distinct thing and the paperback for the culture chronicles is going to be the same size as the paperback for the complete nes so they're going to go together on the shelf now yeah that's awesome yeah i was going to do something different and i'm like eh, let me see what i can do with the, the smaller size it's fucking cool though so the culture chronicles culture chronicles is the patreon book series now when most people think of patreon they think of subscribing to a YouTuber or something to support their channel, but I'm using it and some other magazines and such are using it as a subscription based service. So for mine, you don't get charged per month. You get charged for every book that I release. So basically if you pledge on my Patreon, you're pledging for a book. Um, and every time I release one, you get a new book. So you're not getting charged for arbitrary things. You're not getting charged just because you like me. You're getting charged because you like the content I put out instead. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And you get something tangible. That's, that's the main difference is I'm supplying something that's tangible every time. And I don't charge money until it's ready or until I'm ready to order like for this one. Uh, for the first one here, the 1990, I charged and then do the main book order. So yeah, the Culture Chronicles kind of like grew. <laughs> like it was like an idea where I was basically going to cover a book series for every year. 
And I was just going to do like a bunch of random stuff. Like I do like a Legend of Zelda book or some other stuff. And then like, I was like, well, why don't I just cover everything from video games in a year, do like a, a yearly roll up type book for nostalgia and see how it goes. And when I started to do research, I realized that, you know, we grew up in the late 80s and early 90s and like even though we were born in the early 80s like we really started to mature and come to our own in gaming starting in like 1990 in 1990 you had the launch of mario 3 you had the nintendo world championships you had sega genesis starting to build steam the end of the 7800 atari 7800 the end of the master system um, in the u.s you started to have the launch of the neo geo turbo graphics was you know, going strong for a few years. Like, it was just, like, a huge golden age of gaming. And, like, it's just a big crossroads when we really started to mature as gamers. And it's a perfect place to start because right now, like, everybody's focusing on the 80s, it seems. Like, with YouTube channels, with videos, with everything, they're starting on... At the be- People like to start at the beginning. You know what I mean? It was a magical time. Yeah, and I figure I'll start at the 90s, where it was kind of our beginning almost, per se. Like, we were still gaming before this, but this was like our golden era, our first golden era of gaming that we remember. And there's even arcade games that came out during these first couple years that were, like, amazing. And it's just like, you know, Smash TV came out in the arcades in 1990. And like, we have so many memories from some of these games that it's like, I can just sit there, make everything personal. And the the craziest thing was, you know, going back to an older episode, when I was at Midwest Gaming Classic, I had my first proofs for the Video Game Culture Chronicles. And I never thought to you know, think of it, think of the book series like this, that people were saying it's like a gamer's version of a comic book because of, I have like artwork on every page that goes all the way to the end. There's usually giant backgrounds that have to do with the game series. Um, and then the text is like in like bubbles almost. And it's all, you know, personalized stories about games shit that we did there's even some mention of like vgbs homework on a few of them because it's fresh in the mind like playing kid dracula and shit like or final zone 2 which was released in 1990 you know i i post some stuff that are like newer experiences on old games and people really 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 like <laughs> liked reading the book and they didn't last like as soon as i said that they were for sale they were sold basically like it's it's one of those things where I was able to, with the Culture Chronicles, get it off the ground without even showing people a book. But now once people see the books and the reviews start coming in, it, it just it gets crazy, man. It's like people love their nostalgia, dude. <laughs> Gotta have it. You really do. Mm-hmm. Just even walking through the museum at the uh, Midwest Gaming Classic, it's got a tear in my eye. I mean, yeah. it's just, I don't know, so emotional toward that shit. It's a passion, you know? Yeah. We ain't fucking around. The, the one cool thing is, is that, like, with the Super Nintendo book, I stayed consistent, and I have Joe Simcoe doing the um, the cover. But, like, with the Culture Chronicles, I'm trying to keep it, like, local artists, people I know, or 
indie people that I've seen. Like, um, there's some couple dudes at the convention that were artists and stuff, and I, you know, told them, hey, get a hold of me if you you want to do a little freelance. So I'm like, right now, like 1990 and 1991, my my buddy Jim, who actually I was was in Florida with, and now I'm out here in Maryland with him. Like he he's an awesome little artist, and he's he did the covers for both books so far. And they look awesome. Like the the artwork looks amazing, spot on. Like he can, he definitely captures it perfectly. Yeah, he's just good. Yeah, dude, fucking craziness, man. Yeah, I like it, hand drawn too. You can feel the artistry. Exactly. Which is key, especially the homebrew style of it, because it's it's like homegrown. Exactly. Yeah. And our buddies. We just like give them, give them a, like a rub too. That's the other thing is like, I don't, I not only want to support myself, but I want to help out as many people as I possibly can along the way. Cause I mean, it's, we're passionate about the hobby. That's why we do the podcast in general, but like, like we enjoy all this stuff. So the more people I can hook up or represent or any of that, like I will. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Family ties. <laughs> <laughs> it's true though. Yeah, it's yeah. true though. Fucking great. Because yeah, you just want the best for your fam, you know. Exactly. Yeah, it's like a little um, quick gist on Super Nintendo one and the Patreon. The Patreon is at Patreon.com/slash/TheSubcon3, which that's my name on Nintendo Age. It's the same shit we put at the beginning of uh, episodes and all that stuff. Um, there'll be links on the blog, my blog and all that stuff too as well. Like there's links everywhere for all this shit. And then we got all the crazy ass projects that I'm working on. A few people didn't realize this and actually I brought it up and people were still didn't even notice it that on the side of the complete NES, there's a Roman numeral two. Not too many people have even noticed that. That surprised me that, because that was one of the first things I, thought was pretty a pretty cool concept when you talked to me about it yeah it was like not only does that represent that that's my second book that i released but the first book is going to be a re the the Roman numeral one is going to be a re-release of my first book so my first book was hidden treasures that we talked about at the beginning of every episode like season one and two but it's gonna be hidden gaming gems which was the original title for it and it's going to be, I think, almost 400 pages now or some shit. It's fucking... It keeps growing. The book's insane. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, that's nuts. Jeez, that's great. Well, I mean, there's games like Haunted Halloween that need to fucking go in this book now. So it's just like another four four pages. Like, like and the thing is, is I want to give everybody their due. And their, like, if, there's, if it's a, something that nobody really knows about, it needs to go in the fucking book. Like, um... But yeah, like so that one's gonna be the Roman numeral one. The complete SNES Roman numeral three. So basically everything that's gonna be in my main book series, a, a big book, is gonna have a Roman numeral for my first personal release. So like the um the author's release. Because if I get like an author deal or something with a company or whatever, it obviously is not gonna have a Roman numeral on it. But like the people that get my support me at the beginning, they're gonna get the way that they could build a collection. It's gonna be freaking awesome. The Culture Chronicles, like it has a year on the side. Like that's that's how it looks. But like the Roman numerals is a, is a cool cool aspect. So 
hidden gaming gems. The book's already written. But just like the complete NES, I wrote it in Microsoft Word. So I actually am completely putting it in InDesign, which is going to allow me to even do more with it. So that's one book that's on the horizon. But before, likely before the Hidden Gaming Gems book launches, there's also going to be uh, the NES Homebrew Compendium that I'm working on. And basically it's going to be every NES Homebrew that's come out. And that doesn't necessarily mean put on cartridges like Haunted Halloween. Um, that means anything that's been put on a cartridge is released. Anything that's put, been put out in a limited edition run, like something where they put like 10 cartridges out or, you know, in a big lunchbox or something that counts in as a, as a different separate style games that were put out on like a multi-cart, like that action 53 multi-cart with streamers on it or the garage cart that we've mentioned in other episodes. Members. Yeah. Like I'll put out like hot seat Harry, which is on there. Like all those games, like those will be separate and broken out as well. And then anything that was simply put out digitally. So there's a, there's a lot of games. There's over 200 freaking homebrew games just from the NES. Like it's crazy. It's beautiful. Yeah. The, the, th- the thing is, it can't, it, <laughs> it can't be called the complete NES homebrew because it won't be complete. It's growing. Proof that the NES is just the master of all. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you compare the NES homebrews with 200 to the Super Nintendo ones with, like, less than 20. Like, it's not even a comparison. Well, 200 compared to, you know, the 700 license titles or whatever, so that's like a third. Yeah. And a little bit more, but that's a lot. That's fucking ridiculous, dude. Jesus. And all the unlicensed, but that's a whole different story. But, yeah, I mean, to make a homebrew book is a must because... Mm -hmm. Those are just as important, you know. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do the homebrew book. I'm not gonna do it in the format of the complete NES because it's gonna be the NES homebrew compendium. But I want to like highlight these developers. I even want to if I can find out who the artists are, the musicians. Like if multiple people did stuff on things, like I want to highlight as many people as possible. I want to use as much artwork and all that as I can. So like I want to make it look great and do them all service. I don't want to, you know, do them a disservice by putting out a text only book or something. Like I want to make sure that they get the proper, you know, respect that they've put into all these games. They've all put in hours and hours and hours into these games. And I want to at least give them something that they can be like, Hey, I'm part of this. (laughs) Like, more so than just being part of a forum or putting the game out. Like, they actually have an, a reference now as well. Mm-hmm. There's no comprehensive reference for Homebrew at all. Like, nothing that, not even, a, none of the forums even have it. Because when I was doing this research, every time I would find a new webpage, I found three or four more Homebrews that weren't on my list. And I'm like, shit. Like, perfect example, we went to MGC and they had these AVS launch titles for freaking homebrews, and like three of them were different versions of another homebrew that was out that I had no clue that were coming out as a different cartridge. Like that shit just keeps going. Yeah, the the haunted Halloween guys were saying they're watching people play their game, and it was like they were just running through it, you know, blazing through it, and like that that took us days to make, and you're just blazing through it. Haunted Halloween '85 is like one of my favorite games now. It's up at the top of the heap, so 
anything's possible. It doesn't have to be a licensed NES game to be a favorite. Like, there's so many places to look, and they need to be, you know, exposed for the awesomeness that they are. Yeah, I would almost say that, like, that would be the VGBS era of gaming that's your favorite for now. Like, like the ones that we've been, because we've been focused on a lot of games, and this one's taken the cake for you so far. It was just fucking awesome. Oh, so well made. Yeah, the, the homebrews transcend, and it's like, there's certain ones that are full game experiences, and then there's other homebrews that are, like, mini-games or an experience, and then there are other ones that are, like, joke cartridges or little funny things. I mean, there's just so many aspects that it goes in that it's just, it's a really cool thing to do. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is making the books fun. That's the other thing. Like, it's it's cool, like, just putting putting together a page about a, a game that, like, you know, has such a recent backstory to it. And it's a personal one, because most of these guys are freaking hanging out with us at MGC or... I've camped out with or you know what I mean like there's just so many aspects to it and it's and it allows me to get creative with some of the pages because it's like when I do assimilate make a John White freaking page <laughs> I think with the homebrew book, I'm I'm definitely going in alphabetical order, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to color coordinate the back the the borders to represent what type of game it is with like a little text saying the the what the border is, because um, otherwise like I think it would be hard to find the game you're looking for. Like if you're looking for haunted Halloween and you can't just go to the, you can't just flip to the H's 
it'll make it a little tougher. Like, all right, so is it licensed or is it in a limited section or where's it at? That's what's kind of cool about how you put the years. The Culture Chronicles? Yeah, that one. I just, I, I purposely made it crazy. If you're looking for a certain year, you can just go for it. You can see it on the spine right away. Yeah. Yeah, and that one's a much smaller book, too. So it's like 150 pages, and I, sp- and I put in the appendix, like, what systems. Yeah, it's the same idea of, like, making it easy for the reader to access whatever they need. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm still debating whether I want to put in, like, the back of the book, like, my top favorite homebrews or something. So, like, everybody get everybody gets their their due, and then, like, at the end, or at the beginning, I can put, you know, my favorites in a, in a more expanded term. So, like, if I wanted to, I could do Battle Kid and Haunted Halloween and a few of my highlights or something in, like, a a different format than the, the main book. I, I might do something like that. I don't know, because doing something so subjective might piss people off in the homebrew community. I don't. I just want it to be a feel-good book for them. So I don't know. I haven't decided yet. Like a bird's-eye approach of just the scene. Yeah. Well, and the, the main thing that I want to do is, you know, like I mentioned in the MGC episode, is I want to start to mitigate this stupid confusion that people think that translations of Famicom games and you know, Zelda Fall of the Moon, Zelda Hack, and all those are homebrews. Because, like, a homebrew is something that's programmed. You know what it is? It's like Xerox. It's like, it's become like Xerox. Yeah. The word homebrew. And and homebrew and reproduction are have been interchangeable. And that would be the main thing. If it's, like, call it a reproduction, it's a reproduction. It can be whatever. You could reproduce freaking Little Samson. Like, that's a reproduction. Yeah, it's when this a certain word that doesn't necessarily even mean what it means becomes another meaning. Because it's exactly. just so synonymous with, you know, the association of that. So instead of, yeah, uh, differentiating a hack and a homebrew, it's just all a homebrew. Like. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I don't think that my book's going to change it, like the, the general populace or anything. But I do think it'll help um, at least shine light on what a homebrew really is, which is great. The, the hard ones of including are games like Pyronaut and Streamers because they take background code from other games, but then they reprogram everything. So, like, Streamers is fucking buying a Commando's background code, but then they change it to everything. They change the physics, change the mentality, change the story, change artwork, graphics, music, everything. So it's like, do, is that a homebrew? And I say yes because they did coding in it. And Pyronaut's the same thing. I think they used Zelda 2 or Metroid, one of those two. And Pyronaut's coming. It's an upcoming game. Um, but but the thing is, they if you watch trailer of Pyronaut, like, it doesn't look like any of those games. It looks like it pl- and plays like its own game. So there's like a fine line, but I think the programming aspect has to be there. Like, if somebody built the code... A hack is like a novelty, too. Uh, it like, usually has that aspect of, like, they have that one that... It's like Super Mario Brothers or whatever, but you can play with, like, you know, Bill Riser from Contra and Simon Belmont from Castlevania. Yeah, and then they have the the one that 
the old one that you had where it was like Mario was like a penis when you got the mushroom. <laughs> he like grew or whatever, like, whereas a homebrew is actually like a, a new release. Yeah. Well, and then, then the other thing, and why I say programming is another good distinction, like programmed or coded, is because there's Kahan Games who tends to take uh, games and programs them onto the NES, like Ultimate Frogger. Um, Leisure Suit Larry. Um, some of those games, like he, you know, necessarily he didn't come up with the idea of the physics and all that, but he's able to encode that into the NES, and it was never put on the NES. I would not, absolutely never call those hacks because, no, again, a, a hack has to take a game and like flip it on its head and make it like silly or different. And the best part is, is like if you're gonna call. Ultimate Frogger or Laser Suit Larry a hack, then you have to call Contra a hack. You have to call Ninja Gaiden a hack. You have to call all those were on the on the arcade beforehand, and they were you know created, developed by somebody who wasn't the original creator, and ported to the NES. And they're different. Yeah, and Super Mario Three Mix is where it it gets like the line gets drawn because that's an extensive hack. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're still using the existing graphics mm-hmm. of a game, but they're just like rearranging the patterns. You know, like let's make our own levels. They make they make their own levels. Like that one got a little crazy because they were able to mess with some of the physics and add new suits and but it's still basically just editing graphics and it still is still Super Mario Three. Yeah, it's like you have to think of it in like Doom hack terms. Yeah. Because with Doom, there were so many like the Simpsons, Army of Darkness, Aliens, you know, they were all just took an existing framework and like built on it instead of taking an existing framework and making their own game or making your own game out of scratch, which is amazing. But yeah, you know, creating your own story and your own like original concept, like Battle Kid, you know, it's never been done before. It, it, it may remind you of Mega Man, but it's not Mega Man. It's Battle Kid. Mm-hmm. So that's the difference, you know. I would say Battle Kid has the distinction of being the first massive homebrew release. Absolutely. That was the, the biggest war. It's like a full game, a full world. Before that, all the homebrews felt like like more so an arcade experience. Whereas that one ushered in homebrew developers to get more creative and make more, bigger experiences. Like a one-off, like, 10-minute deal versus, like, a whole uh, game, extensive game. Yeah, when that was the first one that I heard, Battle Kid. First one I ever knew. Yeah, that's what, you know turned me on to the whole homebrew scene was, was Battle Kid. And, you know, it just brought that attention to it. I think that was way back in 08 or 09 or something. Long time ago. It's been a while, yeah. When you got married, you gave all the the groom's nights, we'll groom's say. Nights. <laughs> you gave them all the, a Battle Kid. So you can trace it to that. That was at least 2010 then. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy madness. I think you guys got version two Battle Kid, but yeah. Yeah, it was like it was a crazy thing though, like and being able to categorize and be able to distinguish what it is is, is an important thing. 
you gotta call it homebrew still. You can't change the name of it because people already it's already defined. You can't redefine something in a small venue such as even even a book series, like you can't really redefine things. The other unique aspect, of course, of the homebrew book is gonna be how to keep it relevant after it's released when 10, 20 more games get released the next year, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I have the solution, and it's doing something that hasn't been done, um, especially in like a printed hardcover book, but it hasn't really been done. And it's going to be that I'm going to have, in the back, obviously, there's going to be empty pages, but throughout the book, there's going to be sections where you can actually affix stickers. And what that'll allow me to do is I can do like sections in the book where there's artwork and there can be a sticker that could go in that spot. Um, also, there can be in the back, 2017 comes out and I can put all the games onto a sticker and people can affix it into their book to keep it relevant. And I could even do like game re- reviews and you know, the actual review on, on one as well so they could actually format their own page for the game if they want to the other aspect is is that this also allows me to put in to the book games that aren't released that we know about so for example pyronaut is not out yet it may be by the time my book comes out but say it's not i can put pyronaut in my book and there won't be any artwork but when the artwork comes out somebody can i can have the sticker and they can put it into the book to complete that section with all the artwork. The other aspect is is that this allows the publishers or developers of the new game to, you know, incorporate the sticker in the release so that way they can have it. It also hits the aspect of people who don't buy my book but want to buy homebrew game stickers. And I'm not just going to do stickers, but I'm also going to do cards as well. So it would be just like your Nintendo pack that you got at Midwest Gaming Classic where you get like three cards and three stickers. I could do something like that. I could also at the end of each year do a year in homebrew and have a giant pack that you could get so that way you could just complete it. And I could also do randos with like a John White developer card or a Membler freaking card or, you know, like I could go crazy with it and actually, you know, show respect and highlight some of the, the people involved in the community too. Like, it can be endless. It could go crazy with it. And it's something that hasn't been done in the homebrew community at all. Um, it's something that hasn't been done in a book where you can have actual stickers in there. You know, it's the classic sticker books. That's another nostalgia piece when we were kids. So it hits a lot of aspects with it. And I think that'll be a way to keep my book relevant until I decide to do a second revision with all the extra games in it. Like, I want it to last. <laughs> yeah, I think that's cool because then... If games are not released yet, like Super Bat Puncher or something, yeah, you could at least mention it that like this has so much potential. Like, keep a lookout, kind of thing. Well, I would say the demo for Super Bat Puncher is more extensive than some of the actual released homebrews. So that I mean that'll be in the book as like a digital style release, even though it did have a limited release for the demo. But, you know, in the text, it'll, I'll note that this needs to be put out as a real game. And if it does, it gets its own section type thing. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, too, is that it's like there, there's a lot of games in there that are going to be like 
might come out as full games or things like that. But I'm trying to avoid the tech demos, the a lot of the access stuff. I haven't decided if I'm going to put music carts in there yet or not. I might have to. Like silicon statue and stuff? Silicon statue and then um, a winner's view that just came out and they did a limited run and it's actually real CD audio on the Nintendo cartridge that plays on the Nintendo. And it's like the full CD audio. It's the first time it's ever been done. Dark Side of the Moon or... <laughs> Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, exactly. Moon 8. Um, there's a lot of cool games that, I mean, and those are, I think those are legitimate. It's almost like I have to put those in there. Or Nancat. Yeah. It's like a joke cart. Nancat is a joke cart, and it'd be the same thing as Rickrolled, where you put the card in and yeah. it plays, never gonna give you up. And people have used <laughs> that to put stadium event label on it and give it to somebody, and when they put it in, it's Rickrolled. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke cartridge, but somebody programmed that and put the music in there. I mean, that's that's a homebrew. It may not be a full release, but it's like MilesCon, like yeah, it's just like a joke thing. Yeah. MilesCon 2016 <laughs> uh, was it Bad Bitch Edition competition cart? Yeah, that's going. That's going to be a limited release homebrew that I'm doing. Shit, <laughs> as a joke, but I'm doing it. It's going to be a choose your own adventure based on Miles's drunken antics. It, at Midwest Gaming Classic, and it's going to be a huge inside joke and hilarious, kind of like a cornball cocksuckers. It's like a little joke cartridge, even though that one has gameplay aspects to it. That one's hilarious. It gets to the bonus round, and you have to like, jerk it off, and like splooges everywhere. God. <laughs> Jerking off to fire and ice. Yeah, and it's like people ask me, like, why don't you have that homebrew? It's like, because I have a four-year-old daughter. <laughs> I can't play it. I can't display it. Like, why would I get that right now? Yeah, Kevbot's like, had to look around and be like, all right, we can play it now for a second. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Little kids are around the convention and he's little fucking Waz, like, sporting out. <laughs> Waz. It's like, gee. Classics. It's like the Atari porn games or whatever. Beat them and eat them and shit. That's what it reminded me of. That's one that was put on cartridge too. Beat him. <laughs> yeah, we got we got a few of those. E.T. Beat him and eat him. A few of those that were like ported over. Like not super difficult games to make on a Nintendo, but still done. You know what I mean? And I definitely couldn't do it, so definitely got to show them love. Yeah, man. That's the the homebrew. The homebrew book is cool because you know we're so ingrained in the community as well that it's like. It's just a that's a little passion project that's gonna spitball out of control and if everything goes well, Retrotainment, who did our haunted Halloween eighty five, they're going to um do a, a homebrew with this one. So it'll be the first homebrew that I'm gonna associate with a book since Black Box Challenge with the, the complete NES. Mm-hmm. And as, assuming that Black Box will be out soon, I mean it should be, but you know, Rob is you know, Sly Dog. They're the perfectionists. So I just let them go crazy, and they're going to make something awesome. And, you know, that game will be out. And then Retrotainment doing their own game. I'm not doing a game with a Super Nintendo book. That's that's one thing. I've had a lot of people ask me if I'm doing a game with it. New. No. Sounds like a messy thing, uh, Super Nintendo homebrew. Yeah, I don't know about all that. Well, the only guy that is really doing Super Nintendo homebrews is Pico Entertainment. 
And aside from getting banned on Nintendo Age, which that is, you know, inconsequential. Like, he could have gotten banned for no reason. But the other aspect of things is that I posted a thread asking, like, hey, Pico Entertainment contacted me, wanted to do a Super Nintendo game, and he did. Um, I asked him about it, too. And basically, I said, what do you guys think? And nobody really posted anything in the thread, but I got a lot of personal messages and people texting me and stuff, warning me not to do any business with him. Oh, wow. Yeah, like... Lots of people, lots of people. Bad rep, man. Not just one. And they said, you know, you can do what you want, but this is what I've heard, this is what I've seen. That's why you gotta love the community. Yeah, but nobody had any, like, real proof. But the thing is, is that, unlike Rob, I don't know this guy. Like, Rob, I've went to, you know, camping, there's camp out with him. I know the guy. Whereas, Shadow is a good guy, he's a genuine dude, and he's released games. Whereas, I don't know this the Pico dude at all. So, and I may have mentioned it before in a season one, maybe, but when I did my Mother 3 release, you know how I did my the homebrew, and I did like three different boxes and all that. Pico, when he was called Pachichi, uh, on Nintendo Ace contacted me and basically wanted me to give him three or four thousand dollars so to do a cartridge run, like a, ma- a massive one, and I would have saw like no no return on that. <laughs> like, I'm just hand that all over to you. Here you go. And and I don't forget stuff like that. Like I I'm not one to forget like something like that. That's good. Shouldn't. So when he asked me about the the game thing, I'm like I told him like how. Everything worked out with how how I did things with Sly Dog, and I'm like, that's how I would do it. Like, I'm not gonna prepay you a bunch of stuff, but after the Kickstarter launches, blah blah blah. He came back with a a homebrew competition cart, which sounded cool, like doing like three Super Nintendo homebrews as a competition. Now, I wouldn't mind getting with the developer and doing a homebrew competition cart, and then going to these conventions like Noah's Gaming and running a super nintendo tournament that'd be fucking cool but yeah all, it was just all the recommendations just rubbed me the wrong way so i was like yeah um the only other guys doing super nintendo games is collector vision which is our buddy game straighty one mm-hmm. you know and i mean i talked with him before pico even contacted me and and uh, john was just saying that you know they had two super nintendo kickstarters those games are still being worked on, so they don't want to get in over their head. They're they're working on two million games basically, like for all different systems. They're working on shit tons of games, and basically, if they did another Super Nintendo game, it, they'd be it wouldn't be reasonable. So I was like, okay. And he was you know upfront about it, so I was like, that's cool. Those are the only two major homebrewers. They're you know what I mean? Yeah, right. I might as well keep it simple this time around. I think that's the best choice. <laughs> Yeah, and it makes it like, easy for everybody, you know. So it makes it cheaper also for the backers. Well, they don't have to get everything, so. So it opens up. Yeah, because with, like, the Nintendo one, like, if you wanted both, you had to pay for both. I had to get them both, though. <laughs> I couldn't not, you know what I mean? Well, yeah. Especially when I knew Sly Dog was doing it. Exactly. Mad Wizard and NES Fires Cleaner and Rise of Amundus and 
I would have supported you anyway, but like, let's just say, you know, I was just some random jamoke, which I am, but let's just say I didn't know you. <laughs> so yeah, in that case, yeah, I would be like, I had to have the game, like, because you're collecting in the game, so it's like, it goes hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be like a project that a lot more people can invest in on a grander scale and still get the maximum potential of what the project offers. Yeah, I th- I think there's so many people have requested the Super Nintendo book, and the fact that there's not been any book on Super Nintendo, like in a comprehensive manner. I I don't even know of any book like with top Super Nintendo games, but I know that there hasn't been one a comprehensive one. I think the only 16-bit Nintendo is is that somebody did like a box art for Famicom, Super Famicom, somewhere. I think it's cool that you expand your horizons, and you always have, like, whereas I'd be comfortable, like, pigeonholing myself, you're always the one to, like, try to get new systems and new stuff. And Well, I've, I've always collected everything, so. so. Well, the other thing is, like, gaming is your main passion, so. Yep. Whereas, like, gaming is one of my many, like, well, because music stuff is, like, equally is, like, film, too. Oh, film is huge for me. Actually, my leg tattoo, my horror tattoo is way bigger than my gaming tattoos. <laughs> and my film collection is massive. But games are just, for some reason, they've always connected with me more than the others. I mean, I have 300 records and we've purged <laughs> like three quarters of our record collection. Like madness. But the thing is, is that like, all my hobbies are cyclical, so they kind of like come to the front, the forefront. Like I'll be super into one of mine and I'll like kind of neglect the others. And gaming has been like that for a long time for me, probably since I got to Florida in 2009. It's been in the forefront, like right when I, or 2008, I would say, when I got back. Even as a kid, too, like gaming was always as a kid for everybody. That we hung out with, at least, the forefront, I mean. Yeah, yeah. You know, because as kids, you weren't into the music yet, or you weren't into the the films yet. Yeah, films were always on in the background back in the day. Whereas, like, with games, we actually have to play them and concentrate on them. It's kind of like reading a book. You can't just put it on. Like, with music, you can put it on and do other things, or... With movie, like as a kid, I would put on a movie and play with toys and shit. As a kid, when you had Mario Brothers, you can't do Mario, play Mario Brothers and do something else at the same time, otherwise you're gonna die. So there's that aspect where it kind of made you concentrate and helped you focus. Yeah, and focus is good for the films when you grow up because yeah, now you're really paying attention to the film for what it is and the art, all the intricacies and all the details yeah. of the film. And- Oh, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. And the same with the music, too. You know, the intricacies and seeing where they went with that and studying it for, as an art form. That's really the, yeah. the gist of it. Yeah. I think that's where with music you get super deep with it, is that, like, you make it like a an experience. Because I, I am a musician, so it's like I act in that realm. Yeah, we've both grown up doing lots of musical aspects of all types. I mean, we both went drum style and other instruments, like either piano and guitar, of course. 
it, it all comes to summit is art, you know? Exactly. Yeah. That's the thing, all, all different styles of art form. It's great. Mm-hmm. I mean, shit, my, my um, Culture Chronicles is more of a formatted art form than a, than a book, per se. Because all the graphics and everything and all the templating and the formatting and everything, it's it's more of a art book, mostly. <laughs> like, I think that really brings the whoosh of, this, of nostalgia. And then you mm-hmm. read it as an afterthought because it pops out at you. You don't have to, like, as you say, mm-hmm. play the game. It's just it's popping out at you. You don't have to do anything. It's automatically there for you. That's why kids love pictures, you know. Yep. Then the t- the text that's in there is all nostalgia and personal experiences and yes. Yeah, so when you get down the brass text, you really decide to like read it. Then it has another like layer of the onion, you know. Exactly. Yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty awesome and like. Of all the stuff, I have a lot of backburner projects, and there's definitely gonna be a um, like a horror movie slasher book in the works, and '80s WWF book, <laughs> like classic stuff. Like I'm gonna do all those. It's just right now at the forefront is gaming. I mean, we do the gaming podcast, and you know we've talked about game. Prices go up through the roof. People are just looking for anything and everything video games. And, like, there are definitely music fans and horror fans and things like that. But I don't think they're as currently, they're not as rabid and it's not as big of a community as gaming has gotten. So it's like, eventually those will get their their time, though. And I have plenty to write and plenty to say about all of them, as that's why the Phobos Militia exists. Like, we got plenty to say, plenty to write. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've been to movie conventions, and they're a lot smaller. Um, there's only, the, as they say, one thing second to gaming conventions and the popularity. Mm-hmm. Lego and Star Wars, actually. There's two. Lego, Star Wars, and then gaming would be third. So Lego is actually first, Star Wars second, and then gaming is third. Well, what's kind of mind-blowing about you saying that the, the movie conventions are smaller is that imagine how much it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost the people that are running the convention to bring in all of those celebrities. Is that they they all tote celebrities. And if it's smaller, like Midwest Gaming Classic at 12,000 people and... Imagine they they probably didn't have to pay most of us to do anything, and we're we're coming in as special guests and shit. Here's the thing, yeah, the celebrities have the issue where they're they're like Bret Hart, where they're like a mark for themselves. Like the yeah. celebrities have like a self inflated ego to where they feel they're worth a certain amount, mm-hmm. where gamers are like whatever. Just let me yeah. sell my shit. Like you mean table. Whereas Tom Savini's going to go in there and be like, hey, you got, you know, this, this, and this. You're going to put me up in this kind of hotel. You're going to get me first class, you know. I'm not saying he is, but someone is like that, you know. Well, and you got to think about it, too, is like Midwest Gaming Classic is a retro gaming convention. You got to assume at E3 that Seguro Miyamoto is going to be getting housed up somewhere or, you know, like a, a major. The guy who does the voice of Master Chief is going to get highlighted because. You know, he's a popular dude or somebody who worked on the latest Destiny or Halo or Minecraft or something. They're going to get royal treatment, too. 
like for the current shit because that's huge like <laughs> video games are huge in the current gen sense and i mean we we, we go toward our nostalgia we're, we're a different breed but yeah but when you're in a movie you just have this like idea about yourself i have a feeling like i'm in fucking movies man well i think you gotta like sell your, you gotta sell yourself and do the interviews to get even in the movie and then those movies make so much money and then all that and it's just like a mentality <laughs> it's like i'm a movie star dude well you are kyle you're a little programmer like i'm a fucking movie star <laughs> that's the difference yeah where it's like programmers will do anything to get their game out there a movie star has to be catered to because he's a fucking celebrity yeah yeah like some of the newer games people are in the games now and they're actually taking celebrities and putting celebrities in the games and i mean it looks it's they're making games around celebrities and shit it's fucking crazy but that kyle is for another podcast yes (laughs) madness yeah dude so so that was a good little gist on a lot of little projects we went off on a nice uh homebrew tangent for a while which is always fun um but it's gonna be a book and so that way we don't have to sit there and talk about books and stuff sidetracking us further off the uh down the river than we already are gonna go (laughs) either way though like it's been fun writing all these books and i'm gonna keep doing it as long as it's it's fun that's it yeah i mean i'm not doing it to get rich i still have a job where i work full-time and you know i'm still gonna work my job full-time i'm just gonna do this on the side and keep on letting it spitball out of control because how i see it kyle is if we can go to places like Midwest gaming classic and you know people give us stand ovations and enjoy the stuff that we do it's it's why we do it man as long as somebody gets enjoyment from it right especially when that somebody is us until next time fuckers Thank you for listening to VGBS. We appreciate everybody taking the time to get through this whole uh, arduous podcast. We love it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you want to correspond with us, you can email us at vgbspodcast at gmail.com. We also have a phone number. It is 262264BGBS. You can leave us a voicemail, choose a text message. Um, whatever you want to do, correspond. Also, comment on us. Shoot us a message on Facebook, Twitter, Google+. We love hearing what people um, think about the podcast. All right, see you later. Woo! Later!